What's up, Repraise Your Family? We are back with another Bible study message for you. In this message, we will be hearing from a guest speaker, one who is not unfamiliar to Repraise Share, Pastor Kevin McKizzy from Rise Up Church. He shares a message with us on what is the gospel. He takes a deep dive into Luke 15 on the story of the prodigal son, and we hope and pray that this message resonates with you and empowers you. But anyway, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for not recording that first part, Sean. <laughs> uh, no, guys, thank you for having me. Um, we are currently in a series at our church, at Rise Up Church, called Looking at the Bible and Seeing How Does It Answer the Question, What is the Gospel? So I decided to share that with you all this morning. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It is in the New Testament. So as you open up to Luke chapter 15, let me give you the backdrop of where we are at. Chapter 15 opens up telling us that the tax collectors and the notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this teaching upset the Pharisees and the other religious teachers of that day. And they complained about Jesus. And, and they was like, Jesus is associating himself with these kinds of people. And Jesus therefore responds by teaching them three parables or illustrations. So a parable is an illustration to show something of a great meaning of what someone is saying. And then in the first parable, Jesus talks about the lost sheep. The second parable, he talks about the lost coin. And then in the third parable, he talks about the lost son or the prodigal son. And in each parable, notice that something happens with these parables. The value of each parable increases over what has been lost. So where we pick up at this moment in history is Jesus speaking about his most prized possession, which has been lost. And that is you, and that is me. And in this parable, what we're going to see is the lost son. We're going to read about how a father responds to two of his sons. And as you read it, in modern day, you say, man, these kids talking reckless towards their daddy. And as the old folk would say, they act like they ain't got no home training. But what we're going to witness is the love of a father's heart. So let's read in this message. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was a fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, God. I pray that as we engage with it, your Holy Spirit engage with us, that we will be transformed, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're looking at this text, I would like to propose to you this, that the gospel is good news because in it, it includes a transformational grace that exposes our sins, but also highlights the love of the Father. It exposes our sins, but also highlights the love of the Father. Now, this message is not a message of grace, but it exemplifies God's grace, this kind of gracious love. So grace is essentially a part of God's character. Grace is God's favor towards the unworthy. It is his benevolence towards the undeserving. Uh, undeserving. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And if we're honest, we're sitting right here and worshiping the God who woke us up, which we truly don't deserve when you see against our rebellion. So when we look in verses 12 through 19, we go back to this verse. The son asked for his father for his inheritance. This is a question for you. How do you get an inheritance? Y'all talk on read, pray, share, so y'all can answer this. How does someone get an inheritance? Death. Death. An inheritance is the transferring of something from one person to another person upon death. So when the son asks for his father's inheritance, when he asks it, He's not asking for money. What he's doing here is showing the utmost disrespect, disregard towards his father's well-being, his brother's well-being, and his family's well-being. What the son was taking was a part of the profit to help sustain the family in that moment. The dad is still alive, so he's giving away his inheritance, his life's well-being, and is now impacting everybody in the family. So this request for his inheritance was an act of rebellion against his father. It was an act of rebellion against his brother. It was an act of rebellion against his family and all that they stood for. And notice how the father responds right after the son's rebel. The scripture says his father gave it to him. Now, did dig it. His father had enough clout back in those days to deal with his, his son different in a different manner. Because if you wish death upon your dad, 
Listen, they have the right to kill you. So he could have punished his son with death for this rebellion, but instead he grants his request. Now, what would make his son want to rebel like this? But like, yo, dad, I want that money now. Give me what I want now. The scripture gives us a clue. The son wanted to go ham. It says the son went off to a far land. He had to get away. He was trying to get as far from this place as possible. He got away and squandered his money on reckless living. This prodigal son was a reckless son and spent his money on reckless things. Not only did his money run out, a famine hit. He had no savings. He had nothing left. So he says to himself, I have to get a job. Now, I'm not against any legal job, but understand the job that the son was looking at. In the Jewish culture, it was dishonorable to eat pigs, to work with pigs. So he's now rebelled against his family, dishonored who he was, and now he's so hungry, he begins to desire pig's food. Now, as a father of five, I would never want my children to get so low to where they want to eat what the animals eat. Look at what he's now deduced himself to in his rebellion. He was real high. Now he's on all fours like an animal in his rebellion against God. So some people may ask, why did the father not try to talk some sense into the son? Sometimes talking just add more fuel to this fire for your burning desire to sin. In Romans 1, this is the answer. Romans 1, 20, <clears throat> Romans 1, 21 through 24 says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And if you go down to verse 28, it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do they did what they ought not to have done. So God sometimes, sometimes, it is God's grace that allows us to go through a process or rebellion, not to say that I told you so, but to show you that you may know so. So that you may know that it is only by his grace that kept you, only his grace that sustains you, and it is only his grace that will bring you through. As a pastor, sometimes I hear people say, why did the Lord allow this to happen? Or why did God put me into this situation? And what we learn right here is that maybe it's not the Lord that put you there. Maybe it is your rebellion against God that allowed you to get there. The prodigal son is a good picture of what a rebellion against God looks like. You may believe that a rebellion against God has purchased you your freedom. At some point, that rebellion was fun. You was living it up. Things seemed to be okay. You don't think you need God at the moment, but at some moment, that thing is going to run out. Eventually, your rebellion comes to the reality against the one you rebelled against. So while you think your rebellion has purchased you your freedom, the only thing that a rebellion against God has done is sold you into captivity. Yes, some of it just because we live in a broke society, in a broke world, and you go through hardship and hard times. But sometimes, 
And more oftentimes than not, it's not a spiritual war. It's not the devil fighting you. You ain't that smart. You ain't that cool. You're not that excited for him to be bothering you all the time. Sometimes it's your own stupidity. So while you say, Lord, why you got me here, maybe it's the unwise choices that you decided to make that got you in your situation. And the Lord allowed you to go through it. You rebelled and you decided to look at that screen with some lustful image. You rebelled and spent the money you didn't have it. Now you all in kinds of debt. You rebelled and did whatever it is you wanted to do. And now you're like, oh, Lord, come rescue me. You rebelled. You grew up in church and knew God but decided to stop going to church. You rebelled. You rebelled against God in your heart and you became somewhere spiritual in your mind and wondering why you're so confused. Oh, I'm spiritual. No, you ain't. You're confused. A rebellion against God only places you in defeated situations. A rebellion against God only leaves you spiritually dead, degraded, and downgraded, as we see with the prodigal son. And if by God's grace, he allows you to come to your senses, you realize that the only way to escape the captivity of you squandering, you must return to the freedom of the father, because even a servant in the father's house has more of an abundance than a free man outside of the father's house. And that is what the son realized. The gospel is good news because it includes a transformational grace that exposes our sin of rebellion. But as we keep reading, it also highlights the love of a father. So we look at the father's response. As we keep journeying on this parable, we see how the father responds to his son. In verse 20, he says, the son went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy before the son. And the father essentially said, son, hold up. I'm not trying to hear that. And he went and told the servants, hey, bring the best of the best for my son. Clothe him in royalty and let us celebrate for my son was dead and was alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. This contrast, in the father's response, and the son leaving, and the son returning, is two different things. The father was waiting for his son to return. We know this because he saw his son from afar off, from a long way off, which probably means he recognized his son out of everything else that was near and that was far, which means the father knew his son. The father's actions, when he starts running, is so counterculture. Where the son put his character on the line, believing his dad, the father puts his character and reputation on the line, going to run after his child. Some of you might be like, what's the big deal? He ran for his son. Okay. In the first century, Middle Eastern man almost never ran. Here's why. If they were to run, the long clothing that they wear, he had to pull up his tunic so he wouldn't trip to show his leg. And if you showed your bare leg in that culture, it was a humiliating thing to do. But the father said, I'm gonna run towards my son. He's risking it all to run towards his son. He's rectifying the relationship by running towards his son. He's risking his status, his relationship. He's risking his well-being. He's risking everything that he built 
but the father cares nothing about the people around him. The only thing he cares about is restoring his relationship with his son. And the son gets fully restored. He fully receives back into the family with all honor, all privileges. He gets the best robe. He gets the family ring. He gets the sandals. He got a big celebration. All of these items that the son receives is reserved for royalty. These items show the love of the father's heart. Now, you know people in the background whispering what the young son did. Because later on, the brother tell him out what the son did. Father cares nothing about that. He's celebrating his younger son. Listen, God will never hold you to your past ever again. While you may have rebelled against him, he is a loving and forgiving father. This is a transformational kind of grace. The son did not deserve to get this kind of return. But by God's grace, he got it. The son was trying to return as a servant, but the father restored him as a son publicly for all to see. God never labels you by the life you used to live, only by the life he has called you to live as a son or as a daughter. You are worthy and you are valued to God. Now, while this celebration is happening, what's the older brother doing? The grace exemplified by the father through the younger son exposes the sin of the older son. So while everybody likes to call this the prodigal son, there's two prodigals in the story. One is just outward. The other one is inward. Verses 25 through 30. Here's the conversation again. Now his older son was in a field, and as he came in and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked them, what is this meaning? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat and calf and because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in it. Her father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat and calf for him. The older son gets exposed for his self-righteous heart right here. See, self-righteousness is related to legalism. The idea that I could somehow generate within myself the righteous ability, the capability to be acceptable to God. But you know what our righteousness is as good as? It's as good as, excuse me, ladies, this is the scripture, as an overused drenched tampon. And we know those ain't useful. And all the women said, amen. The older son is just as much as the lost and prodigal son. It just looks different than the young brother. When the young brother becomes a prodigal by his outward actions, the older brother is a prodigal by his inward heart. The older brother has reason to be upset, though, because now the young brother has returned home and has fully been restored. You know what that means? Okay, he now gets another inheritance, which means the older brother is short on half of his money upon the older brother's return, I mean the younger brother's return. Many of us would have been tight too. If you said, if your mother or daddy or somebody was like, Yo, I'm gonna leave you a $50 million inheritance between you and your brother. See, I get 25 a piece. And the brother said, yo, I want my 25 mil right now. And he said, okay, here you go. 
and then he comes back to the family after he spent his whole 25, y'all going to be so upset because now you only get like 12.4. He gets 25 plus 12.4. And you mad. You're upset. Like you haven't seen 12.4 million anyway. But you get the point. The older brother got reason to be upset. Not only is he losing half of his money, but he's saying, hey, I've been here with you. Ten toes down, serving you. And now the older brother, he don't even want to celebrate the life of his brother. In fact, he wants nothing to do with his backsliding brother. He does not even acknowledge this guy as his brother. He tells his father, this son of yours who has squandered his inheritance and have lived with prostitutes. It shows that the only thing the older brother was concerned with was about himself. His brother was gone, he's now returned home, but he can't rejoice. He's just concentrating on what he don't have and what he's not getting. Thus, he starts comparing himself, but better yet, compare his actions or his self-righteousness to that of his brother. And an argument for the older brother is this. He could have been hurt by what his father did for his younger brother, but he wasn't hurt. He was just lost. His actions showed how he was lost. He tells his father, all these years I have served you. That is the alarming thing. Remember how the younger brother was trying to come back home as a servant? And here the older brother takes on the title as a servant, not as a son, not as an heir. By saying, all these years I've been serving you, the older brother again exposes his heart. He's exposing that he's with his dad for a transactional relationship. This was a contract for the older brother with saying, I am doing the right thing so that one day I may inherit the portion that is mine. The older brother was upset that his younger brother was welcome back, but what he failed to realize is that his father was still waiting on him to come home into a loving relationship and not a transactional relationship. It was almost as if the older brother was wondering how much does he have to do in order to stay in the good grace of his dad? Like some of us, we'd be like, what is the bare minimum I must do to remain a Christian? Like, what is the bare minimum? Because I want an inheritance of eternity, but I still wanted some of that reckless living, some of that earthly love. We put on a good show. We know the right words to say. We know the right scriptures to quote. We know just enough to appear like a Christian, but inwardly, we just as dead because we are filled with self-righteousness and have not allowed the gospel to truly transform us. Like the older brother, we're too busy looking at other people's blessings instead of looking at the one who gives out the blessing. We're too busy gossiping about somebody's past instead of celebrating their restoration. The older brother admittedly has been around the father, but does not really know the father, as we can see in his response. The older brother feels as if the father owes him something, feels like he deserves something, that he should have some kind of special treatment because he's the golden boy of a child and he gets exposed just by being the inward black sheep. Now, how does the father respond? The father responds again by highlighting the love of God. And he says in verse 31 through 32, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. The father responds, not by who the son thinks he is, but the son said, I've been your servant. The father responds, not by calling him a servant, but by calling him a son, which means he too had all the rights, all the privileges, all the authority as a younger brother. See, the older brother was confused. He was confused with physical proximity and relational proximity. He chose the father in proximity. He was close to the father in proximity, close enough to be a servant, close enough to know his father's affairs, close enough to have a conversation with his father. But he was far off into the distance relationally from his father. He did not understand his identity in his father. So while the father was physically ran to close the distance to the younger son, here in his response, he's emotionally and relationally closing the distance between he and his oldest son. The father starts off by saying, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You don't have to wait till I'm dead to receive what I have. You don't have to wait till I'm dead to receive my love. You don't have to wait because all that is mine is yours. And some of us, like the older brother, we have this physical proximity to God, but we are far off in the distance relationally with God. We are in close proximity to the things of God, but not the relationship with God. We are in close proximity to the word of God, but never allowing it to inform and transform our hearts relationally to God. We are in close proximity to the people of God, but never building close enough relationships to be sharpened, rebuked, loved, and encouraged by the people of God. Close proximity to God and watching him blessing all those around us, but too far off to receive the blessing that God, God has been trying to give to us. Close proximity to receive all that the Father has, but not close enough to know all who the Father is. Because you're confused. You think proximity to the Father is the same as being in a close relationship with the Father. A close proximity to God does not equal a close relationship with God. So the gospel is the good news that includes a transformation of grace that exposes our sin of rebellion, exposes our sin of self-righteousness, but it also highlights the love of the Father. And both the younger prodigal and the older prodigal, the younger son and the older son, the lost older son, the lost younger son, they came to the father breakfast, but the father responded with so much grace. And this is the grace that highlights the love of our father God. It highlights the love that God has for us. The younger son, some of us are like this, outward prodigal. You rebel against God in your actions outwardly. And people can pinpoint how you don't live for God. They can pinpoint how you are squandering your life. Or maybe even you can pinpoint how you are squandering your life. And you know something needs to change. Maybe others can't quite pinpoint it, but you know there's something that is in your life that you are squandering and God has trusted you with. You feel like you existed, but you're not really living. See, for the younger prodigal, the money ran out and he was starving and realized that even the servants in the father's house was doing better than him. This is what I'm saying to you. If you identify with the younger prodigal, don't wait 
to something go wrong to come to your senses. Don't wait till the money run out. Don't wait for the next job. Don't wait for the next repray share. Don't wait till that thing runs out. Now's the time to do what God has called you to do. Now's the time to stop rebelling. God is waiting for you. God wants to embrace you with open arms, waiting to restore you. Your past has already been forgiven. He's waiting for you. Now, I think a lot of people would identify more with the older brother, that inward prodigal. Maybe your rebellion looks like that older brother. You obey all the rules. You do what is right. You go to church. You say your prayers. You read your Bible. People observe you like, yo, that's a good dude. That's a good woman. But in your heart, you feel an envy, jealousy, anger, malice, bitterness, and you don't really have a closer relationship with God. You just got close proximity to God. Enough to fake the funk. But hey, when your rebellion meets that maker, he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. Look, we have all rebelled against God. Or we might currently be in a rebellion against God right now. We might rebel against God openly with our actions, with our time, with our hobbies, or with our giving. We might do a silent rebellion with our thoughts and our hearts and with our emotions. See, both of the sons were lost. Both of the sons were prodigals. Both of the sons had a problem. And we are both of the sons. They're just opposite extremes. You might find yourself being up younger prodigal or the older prodigal and without jesus we're all of the prodigals lost and in a rebellion against a loving god and god today wants to close that gap and the way that gap gets closed is through the love and grace of god through jesus one of the most common quoted scriptures is for god so loved the word that he sent his only begotten son that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, in our sin, we rebelled against God. We wanted God. We, we didn't want God. But God wants us. Just like he ran to the younger prodigal son. Just like he said, all that I am, all that I have is yours to the older prodigal. That's the offer that still stands for today. In our rebellion. We rebelled against God. We wanted God to accept our worthless self-righteousness. But for our sake, God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him to be sin who knew no sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news because we do not have to work to close the gap because we can't do enough work to close the infinite gap. Jesus is the bridge that closes the gap that brings us in close proximity physically as well as relationally with the Father. You're not too far off from God, no matter where you are in life. You are not too far off from God transforming you from the inside out. You're not too far gone to be loved. As a matter of fact, he loved you while you were yet still a sinner. He still loved you. So who do you identify as right now in this moment? Who do you identify as? What does your rebellion look like? Is it the younger brother? Or is it the older brother? Who do you identify as? So if you are in close proximity with God, but far off relationally with God, won't you come into a close relationship with him? 
maybe you say you were once in close relationship, but you turned your heart and mind. It's time to come back home, son. It's time to come back home, daughter. Maybe a lot of you on this call, you got a lot of information about Christianity. John Joint, um, Sean, they got, they preaching, they praying for you. You got so much information about Christianity, but in your heart, you still follow up relationally. It's time to close the gap. You know a lot about what the, this religion thing, but you don't know a lot about this relationship thing. It's time to close the gap. Because religion was never meant for you. Only the relationship was. So here's what I would love to do for the next two minutes. I want you to ponder right now, what is my rebellion against God? And then you will ask for forgiveness and come close to God relationally and in proximity. Two minutes. What is my current rebellion against God? That two minutes probably felt like a lifetime for some of y'all, huh? Here's a fact, and here's the truth about the gospel. It doesn't matter what your rebellion look like right now. It doesn't. What matters is what you receive after your rebellion, which is God's grace. And that is a transformation of grace because I don't know if we realize how heinous a rebellion against your creator is, and whether it's, I'm gonna decide not to obey God with my time, I'm gonna decide not to obey God by treating this person reckless, even though they deserve for me to smack this out of them. But the Bible says turn on the cheek. I'm gonna pick and choose in my daily life 
what I obey and what I don't obey. And Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commands. So when you understand the goodness of God's grace, it should transform your life. And if it does not transform your life, I would argue that the scripture says you are not a believer. I'm not judging. I'm not, but you should bear certain fruits. Certain areas of your life should mature because there's grace. And if we truly believe that no man knows the hour of when our father and Jesus is going to come back, what he going to catch you doing? If he was to come back 10 minutes from now, what he going to catch you doing? Taking advantage of his grace? Or going out making disciples, taking advantage of his grace, or looking at WWW, taking advantage of his grace, or actually submitting to his ways. When we live our own life, we just continue to sell ourselves into captivity, taking excessive free. The only thing that is free is found in Jesus. So my plea to you, not for today, but for the rest of your life. As Paul says, do a self-examination. And if anything, a part of you is a rebellion of God, be quick to repent, quick to forgive others, and receive the blessing that God has for you. Thank you, we appreciate it, family. Thank you, Pastor, for spending your morning with us. Um, for accepting this invitation to pour into us in this ministry today. I pray that somebody receives something from this message. Um, I know for me personally, looking at this passage of scripture in a different way um, was blessed me this morning and gave me some takeaways um, as far as questions I need to go sit down with God about and have you know him reveal to me the things that I've been doing that has been rebelling against him in ways that I haven't even realized. And so so homework is going to be done after this message. So I appreciate your honesty, um, your passion for sharing the word, your honesty and not sugarcoating anything and giving it to us exactly how it is. Um, and so we appreciate you, Pastor, and thank you for sharing your time this morning. And so before we hop into the discussion,